This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. For challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week. We're doing it differently because of the coronavirus. We're going to be bringing on our panelists remotely, and we're going to be talking about the coronavirus and the potential impact that it's going to have on the automotive industry. And joining us for today's discussion include Michael Robinet with IHS Market, Jeff Schuster with LMC Automotive, and Haig Stoddard with Ward's Intelligence. And thanks, you guys, for joining us from the comfort of your home. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. You know, uh, I'm not going to put the onus on you guys of making any kind of forecast because who knows what's going to happen. Nonetheless, I got to believe that you've got a range of ideas, best case to worst case or something along those lines. Uh, Michael Robinet, why don't I throw it out to you? What do you think might happen with uh, the market right now? Uh, well, John, and uh, hope everybody's staying safe these days. Um, yeah, certainly, John. If you if you stand back and take a look at it, we, we've, there's there's a couple of elements to this. There's the there's the supply side. Can when can OEMs effectively get back into the facilities and have the proper supply chain, and you know safely build vehicles? That's kind of number one on the runway. Then, obviously, with what's occurred with the stock market and and all shelter in place and all those other uh, aspects, there's the supply, there's the demand side. So you get the supply side and the demand side. And to be honest, uh, you know, neither there's you know we we as three forecasters, and I'm not going to speak for the other two, but I can tell you, uh, it's a moving target. And and to, so if we were to tell you X, it's almost definitely going to be X plus Y or X minus Y. It, it really depends on a lot of variables that it's all new territory for us. And uh, and again, uh, we've got a full capable team within IHS that does a lot of this work. I'm, I'm just really more looking at it from the supplier side. But to be honest with you, there's three areas, demand, supply, and then downstream what's gonna happen with uh, with vehicle launches and investment and the uh, how uh, you know how capable uh, from a financial perspective, suppliers and OEMs are gonna be on the other side of this. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. We're definitely in a state of flux right now, and things will probably be different a week after this show airs. But Jeff Schuster, your thoughts on this? Best case, worst case, any ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at it, um, I would agree with uh, with everything Michael said in terms of the just how fluid things are. Uh, you know, we've been looking at daily revisions, if not hourly revisions to date. Um, I think from our perspective, uh, you know, just looking at uh, at the the supply side and, and the shutdown announcements and the likelihood of essentially the entire uh, automotive operation uh, from a manufacturing standpoint being shut down for a period of time. I think that's where we're headed. 
Um, you know, we've we've just with what's been announced uh, through a, a few minutes ago and what we've heard uh, that hasn't yet been announced, we've taken out more than 600,000 units out of North American production just with a shutdown. I think the the bigger issue is, uh, it, while I agree that I think these are the different levels and stages, looking at supply chain, looking at uh, production levels, I think ultimately demand is what's going to drive this. And we're looking at demand, you know, that uh, certainly is going to take out a lot more than that. Uh, we're just from a range, uh, you know, we're down probably sub 15 right now for the year. Uh, 15 million units for the U.S. I think looking at a North American market that's probably uh, off uh, anywhere between uh, 12 and 15 percent, and I suspect it's going to get worse. So, I think the uh, the industry is going to have to put the seatbelt on and probably should go with a five point seatbelt uh, at least through the remainder of the year. Yeah, no kidding. A five point seatbelt is really what we're going to need to be wearing. Hey, Stoddard, same thing. I know you guys at Ward's uh, Intelligence track all kinds of sales and productions. What's your outlook? Mm -hmm. Well, the way I, I can look at it, I think, you know, Jeff and Mike, Michael hit it right on the nose. I can't argue with anything they said. Uh, so I back that up totally. I, I kind of look at it from the point of view as, you know, yard markers. Uh, we could be, have a, a, we're going to have a bad year. We could have a very bad year. It could even be worse. You know, I, I think what we're what we need to look at is things are going to keep getting bad until we finally see that maybe the coronavirus spread, especially in North America, is starting to get under control. And then the second thing after that is how soon does consumer and business confidence uh, come back enough that we can start seeing uh, some return to normalcy over the, on the horizon and how soon consumer and business confidence comes back is going to be determined and how, and how deep the economy is hurt. And that'll be determined going back, I think, to when do we come out of this lockdown mode and so forth. So I would have said coming out that we would have had to be back on the track or see something on the horizon by this summer for this year, even in the U.S. to just have a 14 or 15 million uh, sales volume and North American production bonds along the same thing. Now, including yesterday and I think the announcement of California going into a complete lockdown is a leading indicator. It probably, as Jeff and both Michael kind of alluded to, is probably even going to start looking a little bit worse down the line. Wow, you guys are painting a bleak picture. Is there anything we can learn from what happened in China? You know, it all broke out in China first. They, they went into a big lockdown in the country. Now it looks like they're getting back up to speed. Uh, so maybe two months of disruption or something like that. A anybody want to jump at that one? Or what can we learn from China? Well, John, I think what's interesting is get, look at the different levels of the recovery in China. Yes, they're they're back, at least from uh, our economic staff uh, basically said that 90 to 95% of, of economic activity is back up and running. But the, the five to 10% is actually small businesses that are only probably about 60% running. So the entire country is not moving back forward or not moving forward. They're satisfying domestic demand, which is which is weak and, and is, is starting to work its way through. But think about China from an export market perspective, especially not so much for vehicles, but definitely for the component side. So now that you've got a North America that's down, 
uh, essentially down for the most part, except for just a couple of facilities through later uh, this week and maybe a little bit in next week. And then Europe is essentially shut down. So the, the siphon of those components, at least within automotive, that slowed down substantially. So you've got the domestic demand and then the export demand. And so this will be sort of a double whammy for China. And uh, from some respects, our own market, we've already sort of experienced a little bit of the export declining and will continue to, and then we'll have to certainly work through the domestic side. Yeah, anybody else want to join in? Lessons yeah. from China? Yeah, I can jump in. I, I think, um, well, China and I think other markets, I think we can look at a lot of different tracks. Uh, obviously looking at China, and I, I think if, if you were to go back to when China essentially locked down you know, massive uh, cities, multi-million uh, population cities uh, to, to try to get a hold of this, uh, I think there really wasn't a thought that assuming this spreads around the world that, that we'd be able to or would be even willing to do that. And now we're, we're seeing that in Italy, we're seeing that in Spain, we're starting to see that uh, in the U.S. as well. Maybe not to the level or to the speed that that happened. Um, I think the bigger issue, obviously, just from a uh, mortality standpoint is is the ability China was able to uh, to get beds, uh, you know, the temporary hospitals up and running. Uh, that's obviously had an impact in Italy, the inability to do that. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you look a couple of weeks down the path, you can see us kind of getting to that state. <clears throat> the question is, was it soon enough to contain it uh, or will we continue to see this uh, progress a little bit further than what happened in China? I think the other thing that we need to look at with China, and you know, we're hearing reports. Um, one, can we believe the the case count that they're reporting now? Obviously, they have uh, restarted operations. Uh, our office in China is back in in the office, so they're no longer at home. Uh, so I think that's a good signal that uh, this that this can run its course. Uh, the question is duration, uh, and and I think you know we're we're still not at the full lockdown state across the country, and I think we need to get there. Uh, before we see containment uh, and be able to really put a, a full guise on this. Yeah, Hague, any thoughts on that? I would just reinforce what Jeff just said. And I think it didn't really start getting better in China until they got to the point of where they just went, started locking down, big lockdowns. And you look at South Korea, who comparatively speaking to other countries is doing really well, but it's because they attacked it early on, went into big lockdowns, and now they're doing pretty well coming out of it. I think it just means going to back to what I said about, I kind of look at California's lockdown as a leading indicator of things to come. Until we get to that point in the United States, where we're ready to do that, that kind of a lockdown, which means a lot more hurt the economy and hurt to the auto industry. Things are not gonna get better. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Michael, you, you talked about launches. We had a lot of new product coming out this year and uh... What's going to happen there? And moreover, let me add a second one on, and, and y'all can jump in, but let me start with Michael. How much work can you do at home? I mean, clearly the line workers cannot, but can you do R&D work? Can you do our engineering at home? Uh, how's that going to impact the industry as well? So two questions there. Product launches and how much work can you do at home? Uh it, if you're a program manager, I have a family member who's a program manager within a, within a supply base, and, and it's it could be limited. Obviously, you need to test parts. You need to work through new tooling, and that's something you can't do at home. There are certain aspects of jobs that you can do. I think all three of us, I mean, I can do a good part 
probably 95% of what I used to do in the office, I can do here without that social, social interaction, which is important. Um, you know, it, it's, it, these are some major, major issues. Let's get back to the launch issue. Um, there's kind of three waves that are going to occur here. First wave is, uh, can we effectively launch a vehicle, let's say in July? And there's a couple of big launches occurring in July. Uh, significant launches, by the way, that are occurring. Uh, one, one, a couple. GM's got a couple. Ford's got a couple. All the OEMs have something going on this year. Can you effectively get that done? And I know that is a major issue within the OEMs that they're prioritizing that. And then there's a couple of bigger ones towards the end of the year. So as some of the early work that we need to do to make sure that tooling is approved. We've PPAPed parts, we're ready to go, we've got pre-builds and all those types of things. Is that going to occur by the end of the year? And you can see you know, the possibility for some of that to get pushed out a little bit. Then you've got that second wave. And this is the lesson that a lot of us learned through 08 and 09, is that so the OEMs will launch a vehicle if they've cut tools. They, you know, It's kind of like the bread's baked, let's eat it. So they, they launch that vehicle. But then you back up and you take a look at launches that might occur in 22 and 23 and those are delayable and that's the second wave of what this might happen uh, might might occur here yeah i think just to jump in i, I think it's it would hard, be hard not to see delays in both of those stages uh i completely agree that uh, that that's likely what we're looking at even with the with a prioritization of these major launches uh you know with on the truck side of the business uh, profit makers that's uh, obviously the priority to get them out there uh, however, if dealerships aren't open, uh, that makes it tough to sell those vehicles, even if you're able to build them. And I suspect this is all working in uh, the synchronized lockdown that we're, that Haig mentioned that we would, I would expect to see as well uh, expand across the country. We're hearing it in Pennsylvania, New York, California. Michigan's probably headed that direction uh, very, very soon. So I think that's that, that can be expected. I, I think the other aspect of it is uh, certainly, if you look at the number of launches that were electrified, uh, and then I think look at that investment and push towards electrification that, you know, GM just had their EV day uh, to kind of look at, at that point in time and look at where we are just uh, just a short time since then, and the likelihood that a lot of these programs uh, certainly could face delays uh, given where oil prices are and just given where demand is. Uh, hey, anything to add? I would just jump in and say at the obvious, the deeper this goes, the worse that that aspect is going to get. And I would look at, again, look at the, the companies that are weak on the revenue side that are most vulnerable. I mean, we might be looking at, we're, we're probably looking at if this goes deep enough this year, cancellations and look around the world globally, all these EV programs that are going on at a Volkswagen and so forth, which is what we've all been talking about and looking at for over the next 10 years. What, what's gonna happen with that and what's gonna happen with the suppliers that have been trying to figure out what's going on gearing up for that kind of thing. If we all of a sudden have all this upheaval, cancellation delays, things happening in 2025 instead of 2023. Yeah, no, that's a great point there. Hey, God, I throw this out to all of you. It seems to me that governments probably are going to have to push back deadlines for regulations with ZEV mandates, you know, mandates for electric cars, probably fuel economy uh, mandates as well. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, we've already seen this out of Europe. Uh, we, we've already been reading where some of the lobby groups are going to them saying, listen, 
if you want us to survive, it was going to be tough enough to, to begin with. And now you, now you want us to meet these regulations, which are, as we all know, really ramping up this year and are going to be very problematic for the, for the industry from a cost perspective. So you would almost have to believe that that's number one on the runway for the industry is to go to government and say, yeah, we're, we may ask you for some money, but we're going to need some relief on, on the legislative and the regulatory side uh, to come out of this uh, hole. And maybe we can resume that discussion when we get through this and and uh, and we can see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, Jeff, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, you know, given given the stimulus that we're seeing out of the governments uh, with small business, with you know, all the way down to local governments with potential relief on utilities, on on uh, mortgage payments through the through the, the financial system, on car loans. Uh, the, this inevitably has to spill over to reg, the regulatory environment. And I think uh, Europe is a good signal that, that we'll likely see that around the world as well. Um, it just, it, you know, this is severe enough uh, that that would put a real, I think, constraint on the ability of the, the industry to, to come back if, if they're forced into that investment phase um, without really having a you know, revenue stream essentially right now to, to fund it. Yeah, Hague, I mean, with what you're talking about, painting a pretty bleak picture in terms of production and all that, it, it would seem that some sort of delay or postponement or move back on regulation is inevitable. Yeah, and I, I hate to keep being so negative about everything, but yeah. Hey, you got to be realistic. I, I think you have to in this case. And, and you know, Jeff and Michael, I think, hit it on the nose again. I, I think definitely in the U.S. I could see a, 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 a a delay in, in the, even the 2025 regulations. You know, was that, that was actually something I hadn't thought of until you brought it up, but I think that's a good point. And, and you're right, that kind of stuff, as far as assisting business and the automotive industry, which is so important to the U.S. and other countries, um, there is going to have to be a hard look. Do we need to make, uh, make these automakers uh, meet those standards? I guess it might mean we also have to look at uh, that we're going to have a lot more volume over the next five to ten years of uh, internal combustion engines than maybe we thought a couple months ago. Yeah, great point. Uh, you know, it's got to be hard for the auto industry to even figure out how it's going to get back up to speed in terms of production. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. You know, what I'm thinking of is the the bake ovens in the paint shops in the assembly plants i'm thinking even steel mills you know once you shut those things down foraging ovens it takes a while to get them back up to speed as we're doing the show right now it looks like the automakers are going to be closed for a week that's what they're scheduled for uh, i can't believe it's going to go on for a lot longer than that michael how hard is it to come back up to speed once everything's been shut down um, and, you know, at an OEM level, uh, building vehicles, not actually, I wouldn't say wouldn't be that difficult, but it, I, but you are right when you try to kind of work your way down the supply chain and, and kind of that, that, that bumping along and making sure that you've got all the right components, steel, forgings, all issues. But I think another aspect is pretty important here, that the production side is actually going to be more impacted than the sales side. And let me, let me take a minute and explain that. As you, as you decline on sales... Um, what are your, what's your average dealer going to do? If my local Chevy dealer or my local Ford dealer or Toyota, they've got a certain amount of inventory. And as they see the sales volume decline or their shelter in place and people are slowly coming back, they're going to sell off of inventory. 
So really what happens in the industry is as your market comes down, you actually pull from inventory. And we have probably, what, over three and a half million units of inventory in the United States, maybe three, six. You could see that being pulled easily by half a million, 600,000. And so those are vehicles that would have been built in a regular market, but now are getting pulled out of inventory. So there's this sort of double whammy that, yeah, once we get up to production, yeah, let's start producing vehicles. And maybe it's a new vehicle. That's great. But if it's got lots of inventory, we're going to move from that supply side issue to that demand side issue. And that's going to be the real switch. Yeah. Hey, uh, you guys track uh, production a lot at Ward's Intelligence. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts about it, once this gets over and it will end at some point, how long does it take the industry to get back up to speed? Well, if you'd asked me this a week ago, I would have been saying, well, I would have been giving you a scenario if we can get back on that. We look like we're going to be on track, you know, sometime in May or June and that there was a light at the end of the tunnel this year. I would have said the inventory picture itself would not look too bad because sales are right now are starting to slow sooner than production is. So in a sense, it was in a perverse way, padding inventory so far. But now I think we're looking at a big downturn in the second quarter. It's, there's gonna be more of a bigger impact, at least in the third quarter. Um, I think inventory is, is going to start to dry up, but on the production side, like Michael said, I, I think on the production side, it's going to take a while for it to build back up uh, to where we, if we get back to demand of 15, even 15 million a year, if not 16 million a year in the sometime in the latter half of the year, I think that production side is going to have a hard time building up. And we're going to be at that point building 21, wanting to build 21 models, not 20 models. And I think there's a lot of other residual effects that we could get into later as far as buying behavior, changes in buying behavior and so forth that might might have an impact on how much we are going to build up production and inventory. Once we get yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, I think there's a lag, uh, no question about it, like uh, like like both uh, Michael and Haig has, have pointed out. Uh, and with it, you know, with it down, you know, I think, John, you're right. I, we're going to see these plants down longer than, than a week or two. Uh, I think that's really uh, just the tip of the iceberg to what internally is being planned at a lot of these uh, these OEMs right now and, and suppliers as well. Um, I think when you then look at it, uh, depending on how weak we get with demand and how serious this gets, um, you know, you could have that gap. But I, I think I think most of this volume is evaporated uh, from the rest of the year. Now we're talking about what does next year mm -hmm. look like? Because I think, uh, you know, this year's you know, whether we get back to 2008, 2009 levels, I think that's a plausible uh, path that we're on right now or, or you know, possibly even lower. Uh, it's just an, an unknown given the duration issue right now. Yeah, and, you know, and that's a good point. You know, the lag, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Hank. I was just going to say, yeah, the longer that this goes on, I think the we're not, you know, we're not going to see that typical V-shape uh, rebound. No. It's going to be a, a, a short it's going to be a gradual re back to normalcy of 16 million plus uh, annual volume, which will probably go well into next year. There is one bright area in the auto industry, potentially. Michael, let, let me start with you on that. GM and Ford uh, and potentially even Tesla have told the White House they might be ready to make ventilators and respirators and things like that. What do you think? Could they do it? Absolutely. Um, 
again, scores of smart people over there with a supply base. So they know how to make plastic, they know how to make electronics, they know how to make tubing, they know how to make assemblies. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of great people that are over at those companies and they put their mind to it. They, you know, let's face it, companies like Ford helped put man on the moon. Uh, why can't you hurry up and make uh, you know, components like ventilators and other PPE and, and other types of components, uh, or at least work with the supply base to help them move them along? I think it's all very, very possible. Yeah, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I would just say um, kind of STT, space tooling training. Uh, I mean, those are the issues. Uh, you, you obviously can't just reconfigure uh, you know, an assembly line to now make ventilators, uh, but I uh, clearly they have the manufacturing know-how. Uh, you know, as Michael pointed out, there's a lot of smart people involved. Um, it's not a question of can they do it. I think the question is can they do it in a time when it will actually help and be needed? Um, and I, I don't know that we know the answer to that right now. Yeah. Same question. Hey, any thoughts on that? Well, I'm sure if they had to do it, they could do it in the auto industry. I guess if I was the person who was looking at the logistics and supply base, I might, I might look at other factories or other facilities where building like parts, medical parts or something compatible to that and see if I, if it was easier to, uh, transition those into building ventilators and mass and other like delicate medical equipment that might be before I went to a plant that was building Silverados and tried to convert it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I don't think uh, the industry is going to retool assembly plants, engine plants, stamping plants or anything like that. But I will say this, this is my two cents and we'll wrap up the show with this. There is a lot of really good makers in the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. I know skilled tradespeople in the UAW. I know techs that work at the car companies that can make anything. I mean, these people are amazing at their ability to take stuff and make stuff. In fact, a good number of them have almost complete machine shops in their own garages or basements, and they would love to plunge into uh stepping in to help the country out in an emergency like this. <laughs> you watch. If the call goes out, these are the kind of people who would come up and volunteer to do this kind of work. You wouldn't have to tell them to go do it. But anyway, Michael Robinette, Jeff Schuster, Haig Stoddard, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Uh, very grim, but I like dealing with reality. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. There's thank another you, side to this. Thank you, John. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.